I don't have uh, quite the opening remarks that I made last week. I, I do want to just uh, restate and mention a couple of things. Um, again, I, I am not a sociologist nor am I a psychologist. And I am here facilitating this first and foremost as a pastor uh, with, a, with a burden and a compassion for this congregation and that we, we will be everything we are supposed to be. So um, I'm not here for us to, uh, to simply approach this from a humanistic perspective. Uh, we are here as brother, as a brother and sisters, um, in, as a part of the body of Christ. Uh, and and then I want to just kind of and and really um, sort of similar to last week. Uh, there, there's kind of two uh, contexts or kind of goals this evening, um, and and really being basically the same as last week. Um, the first one kind of being that uh, again we understand as brothers and sisters and especially um, and I'll add this as I said last week I, I, um, I don't want to spend the whole evening qualifying or apologizing or second-guessing everything so, uh, so, so here we are but especially from the perspective of those of us who may never have not ever really had to experience racism or prejudice against us I think it's, and I think we accomplished this last week, but I think from, from a female perspective, this is very important um, to understand that, that there are people, that we have brothers and sisters, a part of the body of Christ, and uh, people that we know and love dearly that have had their own, their own share of experiences, that this is not simply some kind of thing that's hyped up by media or social media. Uh, and then again, just kind of how we as a body uh, make sure that we are, we are as healthy and strong as, um, as we need to be. And as I said last week, you know, we, could, we can look around in a church service and, and we see diversity. We see uh, uh, different colors. We see different cultures. Um, and that's a great indicator. But I think as we discovered last week and... I'm sure will again this evening. That is that is not the sole measurement of 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 how healthy we are, and so that's uh, that's another thing um, I hope to accomplish again this evening. So we're gonna um, in a moment we're gonna we're gonna uh, similar as we did last week, and and that is kind of give each one of um, these ladies a chance to. Uh, uh, just sort of share some of their experiences and their stories. Once again, we have a uh, kind of a multi-generational um, group represented that we will not talk about ages this evening. Um, so we'll let you do all that guessing. Um, but uh, we, we do have a multi-generational representation. And um, so before we get to that, I want to just start off and we'll kind of use this as uh, breaking the ice a little bit. And um, this this is going to be a little bit more uh, towards Sister Day and Sister Kimmy at this point. Um, last week in, in the conversation, a couple of, couple of the brethren mentioned um, 
and I think Vernell actually stated if you've never if you've never had to have the talk with your um, with your kids and I guess especially your son you just don't understand um, and and kind of the context of that being about um, the very basic about being if you get you know pulled over by a police officer and so we all know that um, there typically is a unique uh, father-daughter bond and then there's also kind of a unique mother-son bond and and I would I would just like to kind of and I say these two ladies because they're 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 the two with sons um, I, I would just like to hear a little bit from a mother's perspective kind of what that dynamic you know us dads were more about you know the toughness and and um, kind of you know uh, got to do what you got to do, you know, you fall and get a cut, you're okay, you're not dying, you're, you know, but but uh, from from the perspective of a mother with uh, a son or two sons, um, how does how does that kind of impact you? What is the, uh, you know, is, is what, what's the, um, I guess, anxiety or fear that uh, you as a mother um, especially when it comes to your your boys, kind of what what's that dynamic like? If you could, and whichever would like to uh, <laughs> to, to chime in first. <laughs> well, actually, what I did with my son as he was growing up was I did not want him to speak slang. Speak with as if you are you wanted to communicate with someone because people will look at you you'll get a good job <laughs> you know and you will um, impress people and, and that was the main thing that I actually taught was teaching him and, and a lot of people would say wow Justin you didn't sound like you were black <laughs> wow. you know so um, that was the main main thing, and, and a lot of his friends were white, and I, I, I explained to him it was not a problem for him to want to be around them and to have an open mind about who you were with. And a lot of his friends in church, you know, they were white. And we, we needed more black children in that <laughs> church, you know. And I tried to get him to bring them in, but he had other all from all Filipino, I mean, it didn't matter what kind, what, what, where they came from. So, and, and I tried to rely on my husband to be the, the one to help, because that's the way I grew up. Mother, father was the one right. in charge. So. Kimmy, how about you with, your, you got teenage sons at this point, so they're, they're relatively young. <laughs> Yeah, relatively young. So my oldest son is 17, and my younger son, he will be 16 in a couple of months. And so um, really how I gauge a lot of conversations with them is um, little things that we may even overlook. Um, but when you leave the house, you want to always make sure that you have your cell phone. You want to always make sure that your cell phone is charged. Um, a lot of things that we see nowadays that's captured um is because of someone having a cell phone, mm-hmm. someone being at the right place at the right time and able to record um, the factual information of what is really going on. Um, 
So that that's a biggie, you know, making sure that you have your cell phone. Um, I have had to have the conversation, and I have the conversation with both of my sons um, daily, sometimes several times a day, um, what to do and what not to do um, if you come in contact with the police, and not only the police, you know, being mindful. Um, it doesn't matter how right you feel that you are. Um, at the end of the day, that, that, that doesn't matter. Just in reality, the world that we live in, um, you know, do what you're told to do. It's better at the end of the day that you are still breathing, that you are alive, and you make it home. You do not, I tell them, you don't want to come across as argumentative, um, being disrespectful, because it's not what you're saying, it's how someone else is interpreting that, and you do not also understand um, their mindset and what they're dealing with, particularly um, if you're stopped by a, a police officer at that mm -hmm. point in time. You don't know if they just had a negative situation with someone else who may have been black. You, you just really don't, we mm -hmm. really just don't know. Um, I have had to tell both of them, you want to make sure that your hands are exposed, that they're out. Mm -hmm. don't, don't search, don't go for anything, because that could be your life. That could be, oh, I thought you were reaching for something, and that's why I shot you, or that's why I tased you, or that's why, you know, always a justification. I've had that conversation with them um, several times, and, you know, um, this is something as a mother with um, raising um, young black men that... You're going to be looked at, number one, your color. That's the first thing someone's going to see, you know. Um, the world doesn't really care that you are a Christian and you, you, you love Jesus. That, that's not always what someone sees. They look at you, both of my sons, almost six feet. You, you are a threat. You are intimidating to some. Now, to me, you're just, you're my babies, but... That's not everyone else. That's not the real world, and it's important for them to understand that. So I tell them that often. Um, our basketball courts just opened back up where we live, and um, after the whole you know situation, you know, with George Floyd and everything going on, um, I drove them to the basketball courts, and I said, "You're not going to walk home. I'm sorry. Call me when you're finished. I will come pick you up." Um, I know that we don't walk in fear, but it's just the reality and safety. So if I have to make extra measures that may be an inconvenience, at the end of the day, for me to know that my babies are home and safe, that's what we're going to do. Because you can, you know, walk home, just something that you may deem as just, you know, normal way of living, normal life. Um, for, you know, to you, just something as simple as walking home um, it may not always be interpreted that way. You know, there have been so many, so many young and old that have lost their lives over just, you know, that it should not have happened. So having, definitely having those conversations um, with them continuously so that they know, you know, um, and, and call me, you know, if you're somewhere, something happens, 
call me, get me on speaker, make sure everything is recorded. That's the biggie, <laughs> number one. So those are just some of the um, conversations that I've had, um, you know, with my sons. So I guess just another moment on this thread and then we'll, we'll kind of shift off. But as a mother, I mean, is there, and you made a point, we touched on this last weekend or last Thursday, and I want to, I want to, I want to just restate it again. And, and that is, you know, I, I think it's easy a lot of times to, and, and we've kind of dealt with a little bit the last couple of months with COVID, this whole thing about, you know, caution and, and, um, wisdom and, and you can, you know, some people want to just put that in the category of fear. You know, well, you just need to come against that fear. And there's a difference between using wisdom and discretion and and facing reality versus being, you know, battling fear. They're they're not they're not one in the same. And and I guess from the perspective again of a mother, and I'm not throwing us fathers under the bus. I just know that you know we we sort of talk mama bear and things like that. You know what and and. and you know what? What is the? How much of it for for you? And we'll just stick with you for a minute because you do have the younger sons when they're away from you. How much does that sort of play on your mind? And again, I know we we can use the whole spiritual. You know, we cast it on the Lord. We and we do. I know all that, but we still are in flesh, and we still have to navigate life. So, and and obviously with what you just said, you know, I'm going to take you and drop you off and then I'm coming to pick you up. I guess if I could say it this way, and again, trying not to qualify everything, but obviously we go through sort of these times where things are at least for the the larger group of people more in the forefront of our minds, I guess under, under less strenuous times than we are in right now, I guess on more of a I guess if I could say it this way, normal circumstances. As a mother, what? How? How often does that play into your care, concern, anxiety? I would say always. Always. Definitely okay. always. And um, my younger son Messiah, he t- he tells me, "Mom, I'm not a baby. Don't treat me like a baby." But if I call and you don't answer, or if I text. That's just, it, it's anxiety. And as mm. you said, Pastor, we we can, um, you know, pray and we cast our children on the Lord and we pray hedge of protection and we plead the blood of Jesus. And, you know, I do all those things when they leave my presence. But um, at the same time, um, when they are apart from me, if they are someone else, and it could be something as simple as if you are riding with someone else or even at the store, just literally Anywhere you go, anywhere where my children may go, they can, you know, the reality is they can be seen as a threat. Mm -hmm. To many people, they are a threat um, Mm -hmm. just by the color of their skin. Mm -hmm. And... um, that that is something where that that's not going to stop there mm-hmm. you know they're not they're not finished growing they're going to get taller you know mm-hmm. and um you know like i mentioned you you can you can be mannerable you can be respectful you can be kind but um and you can be in the right place 
Um, a lot of times we say um, the wrong place at the wrong time, but you can be in the right place doing all the right things and still lose your life, still be assaulted, still be traumatized, um, you know, and the list goes on, you know, of experiences, and it's those experiences and then dealing with the healing um, of those experiences, um, which one can't say how long that may take. Well, I, that, that was uh, helpful to me. I guess I wasn't uh, trying to f- uh, sort of fish or lead you on, but I felt like there was definitely another dynamic as well. So um, let's uh, we're gonna we're gonna kind of go around the room here, and again, just give each uh, one of these ladies uh, some time, as essentially as much time as they want to take. I know. If, we were in a room full of preachers, that'd be a scary thing to say, but I'm not too worried about that with, with these ladies. And um, so uh, just to kind of hear from them, some of their experience, perspective, um, and then um, once we do that, we'll, we'll, we'll tag on some more. So uh, again, if you will, just for the sake of those that may be watching that may not know, just kind of uh, name and then, and then basically where you were born um, and with each of you, I know some of that will kind of get uh, be a part of your sort of your story. So, Martina, we'll we'll start with you if you don't mind. <laughs> so I'm Martina. Uh, most people probably know me as Melody and the Twins Mom, <laughs> but I was born here in Anne Arundel County. I've been a part of Antioch my entire life. Uh, two of my teachers are here, which is fun. Um, so, growing up. You know, my childhood years, I never really experienced any racism, prejudice, any of that, um, which was awesome. But there was always that caution from my parents. Like, there's certain places that might be not the safest to go, especially once I started driving. Like, there's there's certain places that might not you might not want to go by yourself. Um, and so that's something that when I started thinking about this is that thought always in the back of your mind like I don't really want to go there or if I am going somewhere am I going to be the only person there that looks like me um, and that's always in, that could be my personality as an introvert but it was always awkward to be sitting in a room and you're the only black person you're the only person that looks like you um, so just always that's always something that's in the back of my mind but my first experience with like prejudice wasn't until Uh, The week after I graduated from Antioch, I went and started a summer program. And in that program, I ended up in a conversation with one of the guys there who started talking about the Mets and how the Mets have a player named David Wright. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's my pastor's name. Like, that's really cool. And he's like, yeah, but David Wright's white. And I'm like, so is my pastor. And he's like, no, I'm talking about the baseball player. And I'm like, yeah, and my pastor is too. And it was like he couldn't understand that someone who looked like me could go to a church that had a white pastor and it was just it like blew his mind and and to me that's what I'm used to I've been surrounded by that my whole life so that was kind of eye-opening and then um, another really experience that kind of shocked me and um, can't think of the right word right now but 
when I was my last year of college, one of my professors, while I was doing my student teaching, there was, it was an election year and we're having a conversation about my teaching and all of a sudden he starts talking about the election and I could tell by his conversation, he assumed that as a black female that I would vote a certain way mm -hmm. and it was very uncomfortable for me to sit here and listen to this conversation when I'm like, but I have other values mm -hmm. that don't go by just what you see mm -hmm. on the outside. Like mm -hmm. you don't know me wow. well enough to know what my values are beyond what you can see on the mm -hmm. outside. And that's kind of disappointing to know that somebody can look at you and only judge you by what you see and not even consider that you might have thoughts and opinions that go beyond that. Mm -hmm. So the wow. two big things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hello, my name is Sashana Green. I, oh, I'm not saying my age. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was born in Jamaica. Um, I moved to America when I was nine years old, and my uh, that transition period was it was tough. Um, and just like what Sister Kimmy just mentioned, the the healing of the experience that you have, the healing of the experience is not just the experience. And the experience that I was that I'm talking about is basically a nine year old girl not knowing that her skin is dark, and being told that oh you're so dark you're so black black like tar which tar is black and I, my comeback will be no I'm not black I'm brown <laughs> um, but the healing after that experience it, it took a really long time to heal from that I did not like taking pictures with other people unless I am holding the phone and holding the phone with the right angle so that can look a little bit lighter than normal. Mm -hmm. um, and if I see a picture of myself and I look too dark, I, I don't like the picture. Um, so the healing process after that was just, it, it's, it's a really long time. Um, kind of still struggle with it, but. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but my first real incident when it um, comes to racism, I was just reminded of this incident um, that happened um, at Best Buy just last year around this time where there was this young lady, she was ringing out to customers. She was she was checking out customers, two people in line, one African-American and one Caucasian. Um, the African-American gentleman was in the line first. However, he wasn't standing in the proper place, he, but he was in line first. So she called him over African-American gentleman over the so that he could go next in line and the Caucasian gentleman he was really upset and he dropped his product on the floor and called her the n-word and walked out the door but it didn't stop there um, and I hear people getting called the n-word all the time and I'm like okay that's just an angry customer not really okay but okay but he went on Yelp and called the people in the store some really, really nasty names. Mm -hmm. And he was like, he was mentioning the entire store saying that we are worthless ends that weren't taught how to show respect. Mm -hmm. And he said a whole bunch of different other things and telling if you're white, you shouldn't shop at this store because there's a whole bunch of ghetto people work there and I'm a ghetto. <laughs> so, and, but then he ended his 
whole review on the store saying that it was ghetto and infested store. Mm. I was like, infestation? What? (laughs) What? And I would say racism is a hard thing. And you really don't know if someone is a racist until you brush them the wrong way. Because mm. if it was another Caucasian gentleman, he probably wouldn't act that way. He'd probably be like, oh, okay, I'm next. He probably would get upset, but he wouldn't have called an employee the N-word and went online and, and mm. spilled all of that about the store. Yes, the store is majority African-American people. However, we're not the N-word. And he called us a whole bunch of other names. And... It's just sad to see just last year um, the the world that we live in. I think that, you know, to me, one of the things that stands out about what, what you've shared is the the idea that it's it's not necessarily things that are it's it's not just I mean the second story there is obviously flat out <laughs> Uh, racism and and um, intentional, but more so your first story. And and I say this very respectfully. I don't mean it, but it doesn't sound like it was necessarily uh, intended to be an intentional, hurtful remark per se. At nine years old, from I think another child, I guess if I understood, but it it doesn't it doesn't take away the fact. That even if it's not a you know premeditated spiteful like the rant on Yelp, yeah. it doesn't change the fact that it that it causes those wounds that um, you know have to be overcome. And I and I think and I'm just going to pause for a moment here. And this goes back to uh, you know I think a few things that were touched on last week, and the, and that is again the idea as as a as a body and especially. First and foremost, this congregation that we are all a part of to understand that things that may be, you know, done in jest or lighthearted, um, it's just, it's not worth the risk. <laughs> it's really not worth the risk um, of, of, you know, well, I didn't mean anything by it, but then why, why even go there? Why even, because, I mean, I've known you for several years now, and understandably, I've never heard that story. And thank you very much for your vulnerability to share it. And so we, we don't know those. And, and again, one of my burdens is that I don't, I don't think perfection is possible because human beings can't be perfect, perfect. But I think we should absolutely be striving and expect a very high standard when it does come to the church and the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. So, Kimmy? My name is Kimmy Ezekiel, and um, I was born in Arkansas. However, uh, I grew up in California, uh, more specifically, uh, Ridgecrest, California, um, in the Mojave Desert. Um, so, growing up for me, um, I guess I, I, I would say that I lived in a bubble, if you will. Um, color, um, where we grew up, China Lake Navy Base was pr- predominantly white. Um, about 4% of the population um, is African American. Um, color, I didn't know color. Um, 
at all. Um, did not experience racism um, myself. Um, but the um, experience that I will share happened um, to my son. Um, and this was in fourth grade. Um, this was, we, we had moved from um, Southern California to Sacramento. And so when my son was in fourth grade and um, that entire, I'm sorry, let me just go back a little bit. So the entire time that we were in Southern California, they were in Christian school, they were in private school. So when we moved to Sacramento, they were now in public school. And so in fourth grade, this particular, this particular day, my son had a substitute teacher. And come to find out, this substitute teacher was a very older um, white lady, and she hadn't subbed um, later, it was revealed, she hadn't been a substitute teacher in a number for a number of years. But um, I want to say there were 30 plus fourth graders in the class um, after lunch, and um, the teacher just had a meltdown. The substitute teacher had a meltdown. Um, she literally targeted the minorities in that class. She hit my son with a pen. This is fourth grade. Mm. Hit my son with a pencil, called him a demon. Mm. He asked several times to use the restroom, and she forbid, wouldn't let him use the restroom. He urinated on himself in the class. Others made fun of him. And so um, I would say that was my first experience um, directly. Mm -hmm. Not that I had not heard of accounts from others, but directly um, affecting my family. Um, and so um, when I was called from the school there was a number of other children, not what I shared were just what happened to my son. Um, there were several other children that were also, um, horrible things were said and done to them as well. Um, but they were only minorities. They were only the black kids and the Hispanic kids. And after speaking with the principal and, um, when this sub was invited to come back, um, I later school, sued the school district. Mm -hmm. um, but it was just, um, it was unfortunate. And again, that's fourth grade. Mm -hmm. And we think about when do we have these discussions with our children? At what age? Do we speak with our sons and daughters prior to fourth grade? I think Paul was nine. I had never had a conversation with him about, you know, you're black and um, you may be treated differently um, or you will be treated differently. Um, it, prior to that, that was just not something that I would have thought or, or that I even thought about as a mother having a conversation at that age. Mm. Um, and I had mentioned earlier about when we have experience, it's not just the experience. How long does it take to heal from that experience? Mm. The trauma 
and how that affects everyone. Then you have a child that now it has been revealed, mm-hmm. I'm different. Mm-hmm. And why am I being treated by like this by all of my teachers have been white. Mm-hmm. Literally all of his teachers had been white. I had never been treated like that before. Mm-hmm. What's different now? And so, um, yeah, that, it, it, it's interesting. My, my sister has a son, and she's asked, at what age, and mind you, my, my nephew is only 10 months old, what age do I start having these conversations? And what is the appropriate age to discuss that the color of your skin um, you may be treated differently as a result. So that is just, um, that, that's one experience that deeply affected um, our family and, and took um, years, you know, to deal with the, the pain, the hurt, um, the therapy, you know, as a result of one experience and why what why would you call a fourth grader a demon I mean just think about it what what could this what could this nine-year-old do and and then so um, he was tapping his pencil because mind you all of the students were interviewed and so um, you know discovery witness and all of that because you know this it, it was a really bad thing, a big thing, media, everything. And so Paul was tapping his pencil. Um, and that's when she came, grabbed the pencil from him, and then hit him with the pencil. Mm. And wow. you have over 20-something students mm. all giving the same accounts of, mm. you know, what happened. And it's just, you know, um, why, you know? What makes one feel as though they are superior um, because of the color of their skin, you know, um, and it's a very real thing, and it's a very important thing, and I'm, I'm thankful, Pastor, that you are having these conversations, these discussions, because it is having those discussions, those communications, um, because there's a lot of pain, a lot of experiences, you know, that either directly or we know someone that has experienced something very hurtful and sometimes it takes oftentimes it takes something so tragic to be able to you know get those things out mm-hmm. and um, and to talk about those because we we hold so many things in so we can't just look at each other and say oh this has happened mm-hmm. to you mother mm-hmm. this has happened to you, you know sister Sashana we, we just don't know by looking at someone. Hmm. Sister Day. <laughs> My name is Vivian Day, and I was uh, born in New York, raised in North Amityville, uh, which was really considered a red line district, if you all know what that means. That, owned, that black people couldn't buy houses in certain areas. Mm. And so I lived in a uh, um, Levitt home. You probably heard of Levitt, mm. uh, Levitt Town, what have you. But anyway, um, 
Uh, my first encounter with, I'm going to say racism, I'm not going to say prejudice, because my father was not prejudiced. Even though he had hard times at his job, um, Republic Aviation took up almost half the island, Long Island, that's where I was raised. But um, he, he never taught me, you know, uh, color. You know, saying this was this and that was that color. So anyway, I'm, I, when I went to kindergarten, my first friend was a white girl. And we just got to be good friends. And so um, she invited me to her house and we, she would, her mother would give me clothes to wear. And, and we got to be really, really close. But anyway, she, my... Um, we had a rover one time, I can remember, just one time in a birthday party. But um, she, um, as we had schools that were in fourth grade, they built a new school. So she went to the new school, and I stayed at the old school. And um, when they, and when I got, we got to be seventh grade, we came together and all the elementary schools came together, and I said, wow, I'm going to see Barbara again. I'm going to see Barbara again. And she had a hand out like this, and I was wondering, why was she doing that? She had two of her white friends with her, and they were laughing and giggling. I was by myself, and I looked in her hand. It was my picture when I was seven years old. And she didn't say anything, but just left. And I just realized she was saying, the friendship is now over because I got my buddies now. So anyway, I when I grew up, uh, got older, graduated from uh, high school, uh, I asked her to sign my yearbook, and she did write, we had the best times, and she, she wrote over her face, which I didn't like, but she said, yes, we, we, uh, I shall never forget those times. So I was taught to make a difference. Hmm. And so... As I got older, I, I, it's a lot of long stories, a lot of stories, but I joined the military and uh, I became part of the daycare system over there and that's how I met the lady that brought me in to Christ and she wasn't even qualified for the job. She was 42, never worked a day in her life. I know God brought her to me. Mm-hmm. And anyway... Um, she, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm trying to get it all together. Mm-hmm. But um, I, being in Germany, after that was after I got out of the military, I was in the daycare, and I lived there for 10 years. And I traveled the, the world, really, as much as I could by myself. That's how much of a go-getter I was, <laughs> you know. Uh, and I trusted all those people and had... Uh, um, they, you could just hold your hand out, and they would count it for you and give you change back. And I said, wow, I really trust these folks. You know, that was Amsterdam and no place. You don't go down south and do that, Italy or Spain. <laughs> Sorry to say anybody. <laughs> but you didn't do that. But um, anyway, so um, I um, came into the church and everything, and... Um, I lived in there 10 years, and when I came back to the States, I knew nothing about the drugs and all the stuff, so we didn't know where to live, me and my husband. 
So we, we, we said, well, we'll go to Green Haven. And I heard Green Haven, that's where the KKK used to, you know, be a lot of Confederate flags there. And so um, uh, we, we moved there and um, there was dirt roads. I mean, it was that old, that place, mostly uh, been around a long time. But anyway, I got a job at Kindercare. I was director at Kindercare. And one day, I got a call saying that my, my uh, building was broken into. So I went down there and called the police. And uh, three policemen came, white policemen. And one of them said, who's that? Is she the maid? I said, no, I'm the director. <laughs> and I feel using wisdom, you got to let people right. know. I mean, let them know they're not, it's not what they think, mm-hmm. you know. So, because uh, I know Jesus, he was always wise. He was never beating up people. Right. He mm-hmm. used words of wisdom, shut their mouths quick, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, a lot of the ladies, when I got that job, it was mostly all white, and they quit on me. I had to be the cook, I had to take care of the kids, all, all trying to do all these jobs because they left. They didn't, they, they talked to each other behind my back and mm-hmm. left. And I was heartbroken because mm-hmm. I, I didn't know why they did that. But anyway, so all that happened and that was to me, I found out, you know, that that was possible prejudice, mm-hmm. okay? So in my neighborhood, uh, the Lord blessed me with a house that had a pool and I said Lord God I, I wanted this house because we can baptize people I said and this could be the, the community that I could bring in because I wanted to do that you know uh, for the Lord and so um, we were on the corner and that meant to me it was the lighthouse mm-hmm. for the community. And so I got to know all of them. None of them were black. They were all white. And one, one man, I uh, found out his wife was dying of, of needing a heart. So I baked a cake or a pie or something and gave it to him. And I didn't know he was prejudiced. And he told me, he said, I was prejudiced. He said, but you brought that to me. Hmm. He said, that has changed my heart. Wow. Do you know that man came down and, 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 and helped me with my heat and things like that? And he, oh, such a, his wife did die. But his grandson, I brought to Chosen. Hmm. Wow. That, that, and he is the, his grandson is oh. so sweet. He hmm. comes and hugs me, hmm. you know? So... I feel we, we, we can do things, we can change things. And I, I said, after that, I said, you know what? And after that, he still called me the N-word. <laughs> you know what wow. the N-word was? Neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> That's the wow. N-word. <laughs> he, he made, I made wow. a difference in wow. his life. Wow. So... Mm. I have lots of stories I could tell, but I, you know, I mm. wanted to make sure I got those out because, you know, I thought 
Do we have time? You were sharing about Howard University days. Yes. Oh, Will yes. you share a little bit of that? Just okay. Well, when I was at Howard, um, 1965, 66, Martin Luther King got shot and came killed. And where the whole city just broke out with riots. And I never knew anything about, I was green. <laughs> I never knew anything about riots. I thought the world was ended. I saw people getting fighting and wanting to stab each other. And, and I had to go from my, from the Howard over to where I, where I lived. It was on Euclid, I think Euclid Avenue, I think. But it was, um, I was uh, trying to get and watching all this stuff, people just looting and taking things. And I lived with a family. They let me come stay with them. They were my good friends. And they let me uh, uh, stay with them, and they were looting. And they told me how good it was, hmm. you know? And every time they popped a beer, that tear gas went everywhere, you know, and would affect your eyes and your ears and all that. And um, they were they were um, they were good to me. And but the thing is, I can say about the policemen, there were some good looking guys. <laughs> 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 and did you think I was worried about Martin Luther King? No. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my word. Huh. Yeah. So, uh, it was, uh, I, I enjoyed that those days. Uh, I guess, uh, give me back to you for a second, just because, you know, some of the perspective. So, you lived in California and then moved out here. Just a little bit of the different perspective that, that you've seen. Um, I'm not sure if it's good or bad to hear that, you know, not every place is the same, but I think it's important to kind of understand that a little bit. Yes, absolutely. So um, for me, my experience West Coast versus East Coast, it's, it's night and day. Um, both are night and day. Um, California, West Coast, um, for me, I, I look at it as, you know, laid back, kind of free spirit, um, friendly, speak to everyone, just um, more relaxed, not such in a hurry. Um, and then when we moved here five years ago, it's just, you know, um, hustle bustle so quick. Mm -hmm. Um, I can remember, you know, speaking to people and, um, you know, you can just tell the expression on the face or, or the silence, um, you know, they don't want to be bothered, don't disturb me. Um, not as friendly, um, more, um, I would say more, um, um, gosh, how would I say it? More kind of like, um, tunnel vision, stovepipe, just kind of, I'll step on whomever to get to where I want to be, you know, um, me, me, me. Um, so that has kind of been my just take on differences between West Coast versus um, East Coast. 
Um, I remember, you know, um, I've worked at two different federal agencies since I've um, been here and just speaking to, you know, different coworkers and different people saying, you know, um, and they instantly say, you're not from here. You are not from here. I'm like, why do you say that? <laughs> um, you know, and it's like, um, you know, you're just friendly and smiling and talking to everyone. And I'm like, what's wrong with that? <laughs> you know, what is wrong? Um, isn't that the norm? But um, no, so I don't, I don't know. And I don't want to say, oh, it's a D.C. thing. Right. I work in D.C. Um, but it's just more, for me, just quick and go and um, just not a lot of time for, you know, conversation and um, getting to know one another. Uh, not to say that that doesn't exist, um, but just there's, there's a complete difference mm-hmm. that from... Um, being back in, in California. I guess um, maybe sort of shifting a little bit here. We were talking earlier. Um, you know, it, I don't. I don't think anyone is ever born an atheist. Um, I think you become that because of experiences and mm-hmm. things you can't explain, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think the the same thing applies to this. No one is born racist. It's not it's not in your blood, and it's it's the experiences or you know obviously the home you're raised in can impact that. Um, but again, it's it it's uh, I guess again not a sociologist or psychologist, but it, it's a it's a learned behavior I think because of the environment whether that's learned because of the pain you've experienced and and so now you are you are sort of you know retaliating or whatever what are the other dynamics um, can be and obviously the challenge is you either sort of fan that flame and reinforce that bitterness and resentment or you help to um, redirect that and and not let that bitterness or let let that uh, circumstance turn into bitterness and hate and anger and and I guess as um, Martina years are still pretty young but um, as a mother, how do you how do you help try? I mean, how do you so? As I sit and listen, and as you talked about, Kimmy, the conversations with your boys. As I sit here and listen to you say that, I do not hear, sense, whatever any trace of of uh, of uh, of anger or bitterness in that. You're dealing with, unfortunately, the, some of the realities. So how do you try to have and going back to the men last week how do you how do you have that conversation that unfortunately needs to be had and still be able to do that in a way that you're not transmitting a resentment I mean uh, sister day and I in my my very green years <laughs> worked together for several years um, 
Noah's Ark Preschool. And, um, you know, I, I mean, all four of you have shared your own experiences, and I'm sure there's probably more that each of you could share. And here we sit in my living room without any feelings of tension or animosity or resentment. So obviously you have all navigated that journey. Um, but again, what are, what are you know, how, how I'm trying to get to a question here, or formulate the question, but how, how is it that you're able to sort of have that needed conversations without it being transmitting bitterness and resentment to, to those that you're, you're trying to help? Um, you're not trying to sow a seed, you know, that question of how, how soon do you have that conversation? That, and it's not about sowing a seed of bitterness. It's about just trying to deal with the reality. So how, how is that done? <laughs> I'm sure that's not an easy answer. <laughs> well, we have to look at the man in the mirror and see what we have to do. It has to start with us. And we have to know where, what kind of things are going on inside of us. Because it has to start here first. I would agree with that. And I think, like you said, my kids are little. But even in my discussions with them, if they bring, like, Melody's getting old enough now where she noticed, well, you're a little darker than me and Daddy's lighter than me. <laughs> and we say, well, but your your skin is beautiful too. Your, your hair is different from your sister's. But it's beautiful, too, and, and teaching them to love themselves. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as they get older, you know, there might be people that may not love you. And that's okay. Just like they might not love you just because of your personality. They, unfortunately, might not love you because of how you look. Um, but teaching them to love themselves. And I mm-hmm. think that's how you can go about. And I feel like that's something my parents taught me. Like, I, I'm okay with, I'm comfortable with myself. So I'm not really as concerned with how someone else might see me. Like, if you don't like me because of how I look, that's more your problem than it is mine. And it's unfortunate, but now I know to avoid you because you're just not going to like me. And I, I think, too, what Martina said was, uh, as loving yourself, it's loving that neighbor mm-hmm. as yourself again. Yeah. And that's why I say, my neighbor... Uh, that's why I love him yeah. because I love me yeah. mm-hmm. and I think that has a lot to do with it mm-hmm. starting with <laughs> hmm. no, that, that's really important the, just to piggyback on the, the self love that is just so vital mm-hmm. and also knowing that if Jesus wanted us all to look the same, he would have made us all the same. That's right. You know? right. And we are all uniquely made for a reason. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jesus loves my wide nose and <laughs> my sister loves and you know, mm-hmm. and it's okay. Right. And, you know, going back to that self-love and yeah. being comfortable in your own skin, embracing, you know, myself and being accepting and embracing, you know, receiving you know, the next person and their differences. And mm-hmm. we're all beautiful. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. We are all beautiful. And it really starts with um, just 
embracing and, and, and owning that within ourselves mm-hmm. and being comfortable within ourselves because we exude that, what, what's on the inside of us, you know, how, how we feel, um, you know, it comes out, you know, in, in our speech, um, in, our, in our mannerisms and, you know, in our walk, you know, everything, it, it goes back to, you know, what's on the inside of us. I will say, sorry, <laughs> I will say, um, I said a few weeks ago, I have talked to my friends about it. You cannot fight hate with hate. It's like fighting right. fire with fire. Right. It will become mm-hmm. a bigger fire. Mm-hmm. Like the only way you can eradicate the hate that's going on is with love. Mm-hmm. And sometimes even our love is not enough. We have to allow God to love through us so that it can completely eradicate all the hate that's going on in the world. Because mm-hmm. it's just hate that's in mm-hmm. their heart that's causing all of this different things that we're dealing with and going back yeah self-love and allowing God to love through you even though when your love is not enough and your might is not enough you have to allow God to love through you I was thinking about something my niece uh, Katie Breckenridge said to me when little baby William was born and everybody knew that he had this, you know, terrible heart condition. And um, she made the statement to me somewhere a few weeks into that process of accepting and learning what his heart was going to be like and what his future would be like, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, you know, I'm kind of tired of people saying to me... Um, that he has like a defective heart or there's a problem with him. There's a problem with his heart. She said, Jesus made that heart. Mm -hmm. And he evidently decided to make it this way. Mm -hmm. And I I don't think of him any other way than the way Jesus made him. And it's just something about what you said just then about how Jesus made us all different. Mm -hmm. You know, it's... It just kind of struck me, you know, in that moment when she said that. And she said, I, I just have kind of chosen not to think of him as something's wrong with him. Mm-hmm. That Jesus made his heart this way for whatever reason. I don't know. He's God. He can do whatever he wants, <laughs> you know. But it just, I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. But it just, it like kind of, it like just came back to me. But, wow. Hmm. I, I think that's, you know, I in trying to over the last couple of weeks communicate things that I felt like I needed to and not as I stated last week you know maybe not necessarily getting it across uh, the, the best way I, I think what's some of this tonight is is reinforcing that again not that we shouldn't care about what's going on in the world and not that we shouldn't try to have an impact, but at the same time, I mean, you're talking about the 60s. Of course, many people are aware of that, but you know, you're talking about the 60s where you saw basically the same thing we're seeing today. Mm-hmm. And the old saying, history repeats itself. Mm-hmm. We, we, you know, obviously in some ways, in some areas, there have been progress and improvements. In, in society, in the world, and to a degree, there have been some improvements in, in, in things through the years with regards to prejudice and racism, but it's not it's not solved. Right. And and it goes back, I think, totally what Shoshana is saying. You, 
not only you can't hate with hate, but humanity can't fix what is, you know, a condition of the heart or the spirit, and especially the wounds. Um, and and then it's so easy um, for the for the wrong reaction to happen when there's that wound that only festers that further resentment and bitterness. But but I think the thing again this evening is reinforcing is the potential of what can happen in the body of Christ. Um, and, and how that again it's not going to be perfect but it really can be a place that is not influenced by what goes on in the world mm-hmm. we can have this I mean it's almost a you know it, it's almost a kind of somebody used the word earlier it's almost a bubble so to speak mm-hmm. um, but but and and I, I think the the understanding that we can have that sort of safe place and should have that safe place and and that ultimately is that's the answer <laughs> that's the ultimate solution it's it's not what can be done through strictly fleshly uh, efforts and means because I mean every one of these things that, that you've shared and others can share it's a wound I mean, it causes a wound and and mankind cannot heal wounds and it's hard enough to let God heal the wounds. I mean, we, we still have to be willing for that to happen. We've got to be willing to let go. But that really is, I mean, that, that, that's, the, that's the only true hope for, for, uh, for true change. Um, but it goes back, and I was thinking, and, um, you know, is this kind of last part, loving yourself and whatever. I mean, it's kind of funny how, I mean, in the winter time, I cannot stand seeing myself on the live stream because I lose all my tan and I look as white as a ghost. And then, you know, so it's I'm people that are white or too white, and then you're too dark. And then we were in an Asian country uh, several years ago, and one of the advertise one of the consistent advertisements on the television was for. Uh, uh, cream the skin lightening cream and it's like we we if we could truly as has been said here we can make that peace i mean god made me and and again i'm not in any way saying that that doesn't not saying that diminishes the hurt and the pain still but it, it really seems like that that is a part of that struggle is just not being content with who i am and who god made me and and if you don't like that, that's really not my problem, which it's very easy to internalize that, but your issue is not my issue. And, and again, I think that's where some of the, you know, our children, I, I was, someone sent a text of a picture today, um, and it was, it was a, uh, it was one of the Antioch Christian School basketball teams, and I was probably in about seventh or eighth grade. Um, we only had a varsity. We didn't have JV, and so they they let me. I pretty much just sat on the end of the bench. But um, there was probably twelve guys in the picture, and there was only two white guys in the whole picture. Which goes back to what I we talked a little bit about last week, and that I you know the idea that 
from a Caucasian perspective, for me to say, I don't see color, I meant that to be a positive thing, but that that's the life I knew. That's mm-hmm. you know that's what we understood, and 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 that's where you know the, and and I don't think and and I'm I'm going to say this because you know to me Bishop and Mother Wright are the ones that helped set this course, but we obviously know it's not a given that just because it's the church that issues don't arise, which again is part of the desire that I have is that in, in being conscientious of these challenges that we don't in ingest or you know in light add to unnecessary wounds that are very, very real wounds. So I I um I don't know if anybody else has anything uh related or the question or topic wise or or something you'd like to just insert or add in to the to the mix it doesn't have to be strictly off of a question um you know i was just thinking back to martina when you started and talking about how you were not necessarily comfortable if you were you know like the only black person in the room i find it um i find it interesting that the lord allowed me to attend a primarily all-black college, <laughs> girl. Sean and I have Bowie State University as our alma mater. So, um, but I actually went to that college in 1991 on a minority scholarship. I attended that college completely free with a minority scholarship um, for four years. The fifth year, yeah, five years. Wow. Still didn't get my degree, <laughs> but um, the fifth year I had to apply for a different one because they were not um, offering that. But it was a really interesting time for me. I often found myself as the only white person in the room, yeah. you know, and it was so good for me, you know, to really experience what that was like. You know, I've had that a similar experience when we attend like our Hispanic daughter work. I mean, that's even more crazy where you're the only one in the room that is white, but it only speaks English, you know, or just, you know, whatever. And so, I mean, it's really good. Um, And I've, I've, it just helped me to get a bigger picture view and always try to be conscientious of that uncomfortable feeling like you were having, you know, um, I don't know why I said that. I had a reason. I can't remember now. But, I, you know, I just was thinking about some of that. Maybe it's just because Bowie State was in the room. <laughs> so Shauna graduated last year. I was very jealous. I was going to say, I had 20 more credits. I'm so close. That was 24 years ago. The church I attended in overseas in Germany, I was there eight years, so when there was a new person coming to the church, we all went to them, almost like a line, and invited them to eat. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's very important that we uh, acknowledge new people, because, I mean, I hardly know Miss Kemi, but I, I've gone up to and introduced myself. Mm-hmm. But it's just that we, we, don't, we don't gel. I see the same people mm-hmm. go to each other, mm-hmm. and and... I don't know what that who they are friends with, but it's very important. I think that we get to know 
other people. Mm -hmm. And when I first came there, it was a year before I met Vishnu. Mm-hmm. The pastor. I, I told somebody. I said, "Look, I haven't even met the pastor. <laughs> you know, I know who he is, uh-huh. but I have not actually met him. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I've already t- spoke with both of you. Mm-hmm. When I get my teeth fixed, mm-hmm. but <laughs> that I, you know, I'd like to converse with you. Yeah. I've been out with Sister Wright, mm-hmm. and I just that was the thing. I you know, I always did. I always made sure." that they knew who I was. And I think it was important. that's important. Yeah. I, I think that's so, you know, tagging off of that, again, especially in the, in the climate of our world, and obviously it's a little more intense at, t- at some times than other times, but I think that's why, you know, we, we have to be mindful, especially from the context of the discussion these two weeks, to realize that people are coming in with those hurts and those wounds, mm-hmm. and and um, we we need to demonstrate the love of Christ. Also, understanding that there could very well be a bit of some guardedness because of those past experiences, mm-hmm. and you may not, you know, it's like the whole thing of, you know, if you've got a, a, a wounded hand, you're you're not just ready to reach out and shake hands with everybody until there's you know some a bit of healing and then you're more and more comfortable and and again that i think all of that kind of tying into sort of the second desire and burden of these two weeks is is to be mindful that we are a congregation that not just from the surface looks like we are right um you know diverse but mm-hmm. but the the health of it is such that we are helping to bring about at whatever pace a person is ready to see some of those wounds able to be healed. And all of this is actually a great uh, tie-in to um, next week. We, we're going we're gonna to spend one more week, and as I've said last week, one week or two weeks is is or three weeks is is definitely not the be all to end all or or enough uh and i think hopefully one of the things we can learn and i can learn um as as pastor is moving forward not to not to wait on some kind of big event in our in our country but to continue um making progress and working together to to be understanding and be there's a book in fact i don't know why but my wife has gotten it out i just noticed it again and the title of it is a family that heals and uh, i don't i think it was yesterday i first saw it sitting out again or today either way but uh, when i saw it laying there the first thing that came to my mind was in the context of this of being a congregation that heals Mm -hmm. And again, as, as Brother Brown said last week, and I deeply appreciate, we're, we're not here uh, last week or this week to, to say that we are a horrible congregation, not at all. Thank God for where we are, but we don't want to be satisfied. And so um, we're, we're going we're gonna to spend one more week um, along these lines, uh, but the, the focus is... Um, and it'll it'll be some more discussion, but it's really going to focus on this this uh, this idea of healing, um, because you you got to be uh, as we all know whether it's I mean we we can add this and 
if you've been sexually abused or verbally abused in other areas, you've got to be willing to engage yourself in that process of being healed. And 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 so um, to kind of bring um, and, and and hear me carefully, please not not to bring closure that we're done with this, but to bring closure at least to this first sort of season of this. We're going to shift that conversation uh, about that about that healing and and sort of being willing to embrace. I mean. Again, that's the thing to me for the brethren last week and and you sisters here this week. You obviously have all overcome whatever degree it may have been. You've had to overcome apprehension because to embrace that process of healing, you've got to be vulnerable. You've got to take that chance. Is is somebody else going to treat me the way I've already been treated? Um, So... That, that's going to be uh, the focus uh, for next week, and uh, I, I really believe that's going to be a kind of a positive culmination to this season. Um, and and what, I, what I appreciate about both weeks is um, uh, the, 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 the brethren last week and you, you ladies this week, there, there's not been any of this conversation from my perspective and from what I have felt from anyone that's it's come across as, you know, I'm a victim and the world owes me something and everybody's bad kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's so amazing because I do think, and again, in a variety of areas, I think that's often what the, the world, they're not really about finding a real solution and finding healing. It's almost mm-hmm. like the world just enjoys mm-hmm. responding with hate to hate. Let's get it all stirred mm-hmm. up and... And so uh, I, I believe that's going to be a, a real positive um, for for us to kind of take a little time to focus on that. What what does that kind of look like? What does that mean? And and again, how do we uh, sort of foster that atmosphere and not just? I think one of the just being very transparent as I tried to be. I, I think um, for me, one of the takeaways of these last two weeks in these conversations is yeah I, I think there's testimonies that demonstrate that God has brought healing about in lives and 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 he does that and will do that but one of the takeaways for me is we can be a little more mindful of that we can be a little more conscientious and helping to facilitate that I'm not saying I have all the answers of how we do that, but I do feel like we can do that. We can we can be more conscientious of of facilitating that healing process. So um, I, I I deeply appreciate uh, you ladies and your willingness. Again, I respect the uh, the vulnerability and and uh, all of that to to be willing to participate in this and um, so I, I, I deeply appreciate that and um, I think unless anybody has any final um, remarks I just have or, to say how much I love this lady yes <laughs> I agree and you know what is amazing though is how much she has loved our children yes I don't know if you know I mean well of course you know you bought them mm-hmm. but I don't know if you realize that we still have somewhere in little treasure boxes do you the little books that you bought every one of my children she had custom books made where with 
there's a whole story, and in it, they're talking directly to Did my child. Happen? So, dear Elizabeth, or to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth's in the story somewhere, mm-hmm. and there's one for Esther, Timothy, Nathaniel. Well, I'm glad that and it's just, you've been precious and dear to us Thank all you. these years, and Thank you have you. given to us freely, and it's taught us a great deal. And I appreciate that. Mm. So I just had to say that since we were on the record. <laughs> and you also, you missed a, 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 a cool piece of trivia about who babysat you. Oh, yes, yes. You got to add. Oh. We are getting the autographs of this woman tonight. Tell everybody. My babysitter was uh, Donnie McClurkin's grandmother. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> Just tell him yeah. when he was born, then he moved from my neighborhood. They they moved away. <laughs> She's famous, folks. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> well, That's awesome. thank you all, and to those of you who have joined us this evening, thank you for joining us. And and it is definitely my hope and prayer uh, that tonight as well has been a uh, a help and a blessing to you. So God bless you.